broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 Anajar and Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jets with Brent Martineau. The Jets are cautiously optimistic that this is going to be a short-term thing from two to four weeks. Uh, but, you know, they kind of got burned on that Makai Becton uh, quickie diagnosis. So I think they're going to wait till this process plays out. Uh, Zach will be in Los Angeles tomorrow. He's getting the arthroscopic surgery done from the uh, Los Angeles Rams doctor. That'll be done there tomorrow. And then they'll know exactly what the timeline is. But from talking to people close to the situation, they feel that it's going to be just a trim. I, I know I'm using layman terms here. It's not a medical term, but but uh, they think it'll be more of a trim as opposed to like a full repair of his meniscus. Now, if for some reason they go in there and it's a full repair, then we're talking about an entirely different situation. But they, they feel pretty confident that it's just going to be that minor trim. I don't know if that was Rich Samini or somebody else who covers the uh Sounded like Samini yeah. to me. Casey? Yep. Yep, Samini. Man. Jets, Casey Meter, man. Jets' like, Twitter was in a real panic the other night. They should have been. Oh, my God. I was on the sideline here Friday night. Somebody's like, yeah, he tore his ACL. Like, that's what they said. Everyone thought, well, there was some doctor on Twitter uh, who was saying, oh, I don't know for sure, but non-contact injury. It looks like it might be a torn ACL. Then a few beat writers retweeted that, so I think that was pretty much the uh, the online diagnosis before science got in the way. All right, I got you. Brent Martineau here at TIA Bankfield. The reason we're here, Jags have a practice tonight. Doug Peterson actually speak to the media about 5 o'clock, and then uh, Jags practice from 6.30 to 8.30, not open to the public. We'll have a full recap tonight on 1st and 10 Training Camp 11.15 on CBS 47 and Fox 30 uh, with Action Sports Jacks. Aaron Schachter, Casey Kurtz back in the uh, studios. Uh, trying to get Casey all geeked up about a Monday. I mean, jeez. Good luck. Holy cow. Looks like someone ran over his dog. You all right, man? Goodness. Cool. Good. Good, good talk. Sheesh. <laughs> Silence is deadly. Uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm the one who's got the room with him. You're, you're miles away at the stadium. It's dangerous. Maybe he just likes here. when I'm in the room. I know? think he does, he to be honest with you. up a little bit. The... Uh, so, Zach, I'm, I'm really glad this wasn't – I mean, first of all, you don't want to see anybody get hurt. Of course. But I want to watch these – you know, so I, I, I say that, but I think fandom sometimes like, oh, well, like, they're not, not personally glad that somebody got hurt, but sometimes fandom will be like, well, they're not going to be as good as we thought they were, right? Um, and, and not – maybe it's like our division rival or somebody. So I, I don't think people root for injuries, but at the same time, they're like, well, <laughs> if it makes your team worse um, – I just want to see these quarterbacks develop. I want to see where they go. Like, Trey Lance had a pretty good showing the other night. Yeah, he did. Zach Wilson, where does he go in year two? Where does Trevor go? Like, I want to see it. I want it to be kind of an even race. Justin Fields, of course, and Mac Jones. And and I think we should throw Davis Mills in this conversation as second-year quarterbacks. So, like, I want to see what these guys do, and I want it to be a, a pretty even race. And now Zach Wilson will be a little bit behind here. But you can also make the case they did more for Zach Wilson in the offseason than maybe anybody else had done for their quarterback uh, from a draft receiver standpoint. You can make that case. The Jags spent a ton of money, too. And so I'm glad that Zach Wilson, it looks like he won't miss the season because that would be a major setback as we parallel these guys uh, going forward. And And – I like Zach Wilson. Like, I don't know how you do. You're a Jets fan, so, I mean, I, but I think Zach Wilson's going to be a good player. I don't know if he's going to be a great player, but I think he's going to be the best thing that the Jets have had in a while, and I know that's not saying much. <laughs> it's not saying much. <laughs> but do you have that feeling? Or, yeah. Or, I mean, are, I mean, you, are you bullish on Zach Wilson? I mean, how much, 
I've been burned so many times. <laughs> so many times. You look at Sam Darnold, looked atrocious year one, but at the end of year one kind of lit him up. So maybe he was going to look good year two, and then at the end of the, uh, and then year two he had the injury and the mono and all these excuses, right? So the same thing, kind of developing with Zach Wilson here. He looked atrocious year one, like all rookies do. But then at the end of year one, he kind of lit him up a little bit. He had a good showing in the last couple of games. So you get excited into the offseason. Your team makes some moves, adds a wide receiver here, a lineman here, a tight end or two here. And then suddenly it's all starting to take shape. And then, you know, Jets are going to Jets. So, Um, well, that could happen. But I think it's important. First of all, it's important for any organization to keep that guy healthy for a variety of reasons because he's the most important player on the field. But... When you're evaluating and you're seeing if he's the guy, you don't want stunts in the growth. Yeah. And so you have to find out if this guy over the next – I mean, I think it's like a three-year window to really find out, especially with, because, like, the Jags and Jets were so far in, in Chicago. They're just so bad early on that it's going to be a full three years until they kind of figure it out and we can figure out if they're good. Now, we'll get a trend in that direction probably here in year two, but – I mean, I just don't know how much we learned how great or not great these guys are going to be after one year. I give you a and, yes but on the three years, though, because you do have a situation coming up this year where if you've got someone like the Bears at the top of the draft, the Jets at the top of the draft, or the Texans at the top of the draft, they may not wait to year three to bail on their quarterback when they got a couple of studs at the top of that draft. Well, M- Mills won't get as much leeway, right? He's not going to have the equity. But these guys already spent a first and a second pick on tra- and a third pick on these guys that we're talking about. But he talked to the Cardinals. Um, Cliff was able to do it successfully. He got he got off of that Josh Rosen train. I think Rosen was like the ninth pick or something like that. That's true. But I would also say this. Here's what's different about that situation is Salah is – linked with Zach Wilson. Now Doug Peterson comes in, and it's just year one. He's linked with Trevor. And now uh, Iberflus is linked with Fields. You know, like he took the job because of that. And so it's kind of ride or die with those guys. They're not going to – I don't know. If maybe they will get another chance with somebody else. But I, it's not coming before a three-year window is my point. Uh, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson will not be judged until three, year three is complete. I mean, they'll be judged. But they won't be, like, yanked and we're moving on and all that until three years is complete, in my opinion. And so the moral of that story is you need Zach Wilson playing the most of year two oh, yeah. to get that full evaluation. Uh, because any stunt in the growth then starts raising questions and are, have we been looking at this too long and has he shown enough? And You also got things. other guys whose contracts are up at the end of the year and you need to know if it's them or Zach. Like, who's the problem there? Yeah. So Whether I it be think- wide receivers, tight ends, those guys, yeah. I, I think um, I'm rooting. By the, so I'm rooting for this. Like I'm, I'm actually, I'm excited to watch that class because I'm so bullish on the class. I really think all of them are pretty good players. Situations will dictate. Like here in New York and and Chicago seems the one that's really iffy right now because like, what are they doing through two years of Justin Fields? Are they setting him up to be as successful as he could be? Doesn't look At least like it. At least the Jags made a swift coaching change when that didn't work and then spent a ton of money to help Trevor out, right? So they have done some things, and we know what what the Jets have done. And now you look at a guy like Trey Lance, and maybe this will get Casey going here on a Monday, but he's got 100 Trey Lance cards. (laughs) And I would think they went up a nickel or two on Friday night. No, Casey? Uh, I mean, I, I know what you're trying to do. No, because it's the preseason. But, yeah, he looked good. He made some good throws. A uh, lot to be excited about because he looks like he can do some things that Jimmy G couldn't do for you. So the 49ers should be excited about that. Yeah, I think that was a pretty good impression. I get you throw the deep ball and, and you do a couple of good things. That's all you're looking for this time of year. 
you're looking for a couple of good plays. Uh, you, you can't be judging a quarter and a very short stint. So uh, it's a little bit like Malik Wilson uh, the other day, right? Or Willis, sorry. Willis. Um, and and uh, he had a couple of nice things. So when you see some good things out of these quarterbacks, uh, that's a very good sign. And I keep hearing, like, I know you're bullish on Trey Lance, Casey. I'm not, like, some of these, Some people are like, oh, my gosh, Patrick Mahomes. He's gonna be the, I, I heard that last night somewhere. I think somebody said, like, I haven't seen you this excited about somebody since Patrick Mahomes. I'm like, settle down. You know, I mean, is that that's that's a different kind of standard now, Patrick Mahomes. So let's not start comparing everybody to Mahomes. But I'm not that crazy about Lance. I think he's in a really good situation and spot. But I got to see something out of him. I mean, we didn't see enough out of pro days. We didn't see enough out of North Dakota. We didn't see we just haven't seen enough of him play. I mean, I think people are blind faithing uh, the whole Trey Lance stuff. And, and I know Casey's really bullish on him. It doesn't mean you can't be excited about the kid. I'm just saying I'm not, like, over the moon about a guy. I'm really actually curious to see how he plays and what he's all about because there's been success before out of those small schools. Like, the quarterbacks, it doesn't always take a big school to make a good quarterback in the NFL. Specifically that school, too. Yeah, we got countless examples of that. So um, I guess out of, you know, to speak to that conversation, which one are you most excited to watch outside of Trevor? this year in terms of the growth from last year's quarterback class. And again, you can put Davis Mills in here, but I don't think any of us are going to pick Davis Mills. Yeah, it's not going to be Davis. For, for me, it's Trey Lance just because of the potential the guy has on the field. Uh, what the guy brings to the table with his toolbox seems to be a real dynamic, exciting guy if he can deliver on some of those things that he was scouted on. Obviously, you want to see what Justin uh, Fields can do, but it doesn't look like he's going to have a real opportunity to showcase that this season. I think a lot of what you're going to see from Justin Fields will be him on his back or throwing uh, out of bounds into the sidelines. And obviously, Zach Wilson with the injury. Jets are going to Jets. You want to see Trevor do great, but for to your question, I mean, for me, it's Trey Lance all the way. Casey, uh, I'm assuming because you have dollars invested in Trey, this might be your answer? Yes. It is. I, I, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's Trey Lance. I The Justin Fields thing is interesting. I think Justin Fields is the new Trey Lance in terms of cards because now I'm buying all the Justin Fields I can because people have already given up on him, and they're going to really? be horrible. Yeah, they're going to be horrible. Buy low. I see what you're doing here. And that's not going to be the one I want to watch this year because I don't think they're going to be very good. But as long as they don't give up on him, I'm all in on Justin Fields now being the new Trey Lance because last year Trey Lance was low. He didn't play. Now it's popping. So now you, you pivot to Justin Fields who – they're definitely going to be very bad. He has barely any weapons, uh, so that's the new guy in the cards. But, yeah, I'm excited to see Trey Lance. Yeah, that's uh, – and, listen, I can see the excitement and curiosity in Trey Lance. Uh, for me, this is Justin Fields, and I know he's up against it, at least it seems like on paper, and they haven't set him up as well. But I was a big fan of Fields coming out, and and I don't, I don't want to uh, – if you didn't catch all that conversation, like before the Jags got the number one overall pick and the Jets did the Jags a favor, the Jags were in line to pick second. Like, the whole year. And Justin Fields was going to be, like, quarterback number two, in my opinion. A lot of people thought that. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously that didn't happen because Zach Wilson became that guy, and then the Niners traded up, and, and people thought it might be Mac Jones, but instead it was Trey Lance. And, and then all of a sudden, wherever the Bears picked and picked uh, – what number did they pick him? Was it fifth or eighth? Or uh, it was like tenth. They traded was up. Was that far down? Yeah. yeah. And so – but I like Fields. But I talk about this a lot. And, and just to echo a little bit what you guys just said, I, I don't know if they're as bad as we're all talking about, 
but I don't think they're putting him in the best of positions. And I always say this is situational, man. Like, you can be a good player, but if they don't put you in a good spot to succeed, like, you're really up against it, especially as a young player at that position. And so he might be in that spot. Like, he may be the one that gets in the really the messiest situation of all the young quarterbacks. Uh, and believe it or not, they might even include, like, Davis Mills. And the reason why Davis Mills, there's just no expectation on Davis Mills. Well, at least he's got a wide receiver on the team and a halfway decent offensive line. Like, I don't even think the Bears are going to be able to keep uh, Justin upright. He's going to be running for his life half the season. But that's great context to this situation. Like, who's a better football team? Do you really think, like, Houston's better than Chicago? They Mm -hmm. might be. I do. Really? I I really like three players on the Bears. Fields, Mooney, and Cole Komet. Everybody else is just kind of there. Yeah, that's interesting. And then with Houston, at least, like, I, I like Davis Mills. I think Nico Collins is good. I think Pierce is going to get some run. Marlon Mack's yeah. not bad. They do have some pieces on defense. I always like Brevin Jordan. So, yeah, I think Houston's better. Yeah, that's The Bears might not win. Like, and that puts it in, yeah, that puts some – that really puts it in perspective, right? Because Houston's, like, supposed to be terrible. I know that – and they were supposed to be terrible last year, and they still beat the Jags. But, I mean, they're supposed to be still, like, nowhere near close. Uh, nobody's predicting Houston to take, like, this mega leap. It still feels like a Band-Aid in Houston, right? Sure. Until they kind of figure it out. They have a lot of holes on that team, yeah. It, 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 well, they still, listen, I mean, they got a pleasant surprise out of Davis Mills. But I don't know how many people are signing up for Davis Mills as the quarterback in the next five years for Houston. You know, that's not the case in Chicago. That's the point here. Like, Chicago, they got a new coach, and they got this quarterback that they're supposed to be building around, and it doesn't look like they're doing it. So... That's problematic. And by the way, guys starting to want out of there like a Roquan Smith. Um, but I am – it does put me still I'm, – I'm intrigued to see him because I think that's the guy the Jags would have ended up with. Like, I still believe – do you guys think that now in hindsight, even though he was uh, whatever, the, the 10th overall pick, and they traded up for him, so he was really the fourth quarterback off the board? Like, do you think if the Jags were stuck in the two-hole in that draft, they would take fields or would you think they would have taken somebody else i mean wilson was in the conversation it wasn't just the jets looking at wilson oh no no he was he certainly was in the conversation but i yeah. think justin fields had all the heat on him yeah i think they would have picked zach wilson even though it's wrong really yeah i would have wanted them to pick justin fields i think whoever was picking second was picking zach wilson i'm telling you as a jet fan i wanted them to pick justin fields and they went zach wilson obviously justin fields was like <laughs> Before Deshaun Watson was a bad guy, <laughs> Justin Fields was Deshaun Watson where everybody passed on him, and it was like, oh. A bigger Deshaun Watson. Like, he's bulkier. Yeah, and that was the Justin Fields part of it. So, yeah, I think they would have picked Zach Wilson, but I think the right pick. I still think Zach or uh, Justin Fields would have been, should have been the pick. I still think it will be good once the Bears figure out how to, like, build the rest of the team. When we talk about uh, these new tight ends, this new breed of tight end, this X receiver almost, uh, where you have a, a giant wide receiver who's a tight end. And I think that Justin Fields is one of Trey Lance, another one of these guys, is like a a Saquon Barkley-looking running back in a quarterback's role. Like, these are big, bulky guys who, if you didn't know they were quarterbacks, you'd probably guess they were in the backfield. Yeah, I mean, well, listen, they can, they can beat you with both, and they are physical players. They can withstand some of that stuff. Like, I've seen Fields, like, get hit, bounce off, and, and, and still stay on his feet and make a throw, you know, or pick up a – a few yards running the football. So, I, I don't know. I, I do think they would have taken Fields, guys. I, I'm not sold they would have. Because I think it was so risky taking Wilson. I think the safer of the, all the plays would have been Fields. Agree. 
going back. And so, and, and obviously you had the urban connection. I don't know if that was a good or bad thing for Fields. Like, I don't know how urban looked at him uh, based on the intel he got out of Ohio State uh, and Ryan Day. But he obviously would have known, right? He yeah. would have known if he yeah. liked them or not. Um, and to be honest with you, Urban might not have been the coach if the Jags picked second. Like, I don't think he takes – I'm not sure he takes the job. Oh, you think uh, but, if he didn't have Trevor, he would have stayed away, you think? I think that was – yeah. I mean – But Fields, though, it's literally his guy. I know, but he doesn't mean he thinks he can win at the NFL level with this guy. You know, I don't I, – I, I think he would have taken him. I think the Jags would have taken him. Let's just say that. I think the Jags would have been in a position because, again, in the last two drafts, they've been in a position where they, they have to play it safe. Now, luckily, it fell in their lap at number one with Trevor. That was like the safest pick of all time, it felt like, because everybody would have done it. But they, if they were picking number two, they couldn't take, like, this boom-bust guy in Wilson, who everybody labeled him as that. And they couldn't take this kid out of North Dakota State, right? I mean, they just couldn't do it. I think they would have had to take Justin Fields. And so I think he would have been the number two selection. And by the way, like I continue to say, I wouldn't have been mad at that. Like, I think Justin Fields in a good situation is a good quarterback. And I think he's going to have a nice career in the NFL if Chicago doesn't ruin him before that. And right now, he's probably the one guy of all the teams, believe it or not, even with the Jets and the Jags in play here, that stands the chance to be ruined hmm. by the organization. Now, oh, yeah. Urban tried. <laughs> you know, Urban tried here. But it looks like to no avail. Thankfully, the Jags have rebounded nicely. So uh, I think it's just a fat. I love that part of it. Like, as much as we talked about that draft, the scenarios that took place, what shook out in the final weeks of that season, who the Jags ended up, the Jets ended up. And remember, like, the San Francisco stuff was unbelievable that year. People thought Mac Jones was going number three. Yeah. Like, they had traded up to third to get Mac Jones. Everybody's was like, are you kidding? They did what? A lot of smoke. And it ends up being Trey Lance. And now here we get to see Trey Lance. So I just I don't want to lose sight of that storyline because, of course, it parallels here in Jacksonville and especially the career of Trevor Lawrence. And there's some pressure on this young man here in Jacksonville to be better than those guys. Just one more note on Bears-Texans and uh, Justin Fields. Just in 2021, passing offense, Texans ranked 28th. You could argue they either stayed the same or got better just by cohesiveness. Bears ranked 30th, and you know they got worse. Lost a receiver, brand new coach who's on the defensive side of the ball as a head coach. I don't see how this team is going to be better than the Texans, especially not on the, the offensive yeah. side of the yeah, ball. Yeah, you guys might not be wrong. I think it puts it in perspective just how bad that is. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll hear from some of the uh, parties from the other night as the Jags uh, played the Cleveland Browns and catch you up to date on the Jags some more and bounce around some other sports and thoughts like, should Will Zalatoris have hit that shot? <laughs> Come on, Will. Go for the epic play. We'll be back. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's the first step is you can't shoot yourself in the foot, you know. Um, I thought Coach did a great job getting the calls in, in and out of the huddle, you know, and then there's always going to be times when you're kind of behind the play clock and you got to speed up, and I thought throughout camp we've done a good job of working that and guys getting to, where they're, getting to their spot quick and being able to line up and go when we need to because you're going to have to go do that. So tonight we had a couple of those that we had to do and execute and ended up having a positive play, and then... No, I mean, no false starts, holes, any of that stuff. That's, that's huge. You can't, you can't hurt yourself. That is Trevor Lawrence. Shoot yourself in the foot is one of the all-time, like, quarterback offensive coordinator cliches. I mean, one of many, but yes. No, nah, but it's like, it, it, it's, it's uh, renowned. It is 
to the every man. Doesn't matter what kind of personality you have, style you have. Like, if you're a quarterback, you're going to say that. Like, I don't think there's a substitute for it. What about um, we have to take it one game at a time? Where no, but that's, that not, that's not the same context. No, it's not the same context, though. Like, one game at a time, first of all, is more coach. Players do buy into that and get into that. Like, and by the way, like, the, one, the whole thing is they say that, and they actually do live it. Like, the, they are weird animals, man. When they don't look ahead very often. They, like, go by the day. Like, they really do, like, live their life like that. And, and I've learned that over the years. But they do say that. It's a very cliche thing. But I'm just saying there's no substitute. Is there a substitute for shoot yourself in the foot? Like, we screwed up. You mean we can't screw up. Like, why don't you just say we we can't screw up? It has to mean the same thing. We can't make dumb plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about uh, we'd like to have that one back? Cliche about mistakes. Yeah, not bad. Um, I don't know. I just, I think that's why we hear it from anybody. Like, you can't (laughs) give me a good one. Like, you, I I just want to say, yeah, we stop making stupid penalties or (laughs) stop making dumb mistakes or, (laughs) uh, like, who came up with shoot yourself in the foot? Like, who shoots yourself in the foot anyway? I, mean, it, I, I would guess, and I don't know this is a fact, which normally I pretend to, but uh, this time I'm guessing that this goes back to, like, the days of the shootouts with the sheriff in the middle of town, and instead of pulling out your gun and aiming it at the sheriff as you're reaching for it, you end up shooting yourself in the foot as you're pulling it out of your holster. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming. I can look it up, though. The only... Who was it? Uh, wasn't it Plaxico Burris that shot himself in the oh leg? Oh, my God, he did. Yes, at a New York nightclub. <laughs> he was on the Giants. Poor Plax. <laughs> Let me in. Do you know who I am? I'm a gunslinger. That's what Casey, I am. you never played football? I did. You did? Yep. And you were a lineman, right? Mm, tight end. Tight end, okay. In meetings, did they have anything, any substitute for shoot yourself in the foot? Did you hear that in the high school ranks a lot? No, nah, we sucked. So it was like, <laughs> <laughs> just try to be okay. Don't like, embarrass right. yourself today. Yeah. How about this one? Like, can we, we, we can't step on a landmine or something. Like, you know, like instead, still the foot. It's interesting you mentioned landmine, Brent, because the origin, which I've just discovered by reading on the Internet, as we know, everything on the Internet is true. The phrase to shoot oneself in the foot comes from the Great War, World War One. A soldier would deliberately shoot himself in the foot to avoid having to go over the top to certain, over the top of the trench to certain death. Oh. So basically, instead of running out onto the field to get yourself shot, you shoot yourself in the foot and you go, oh, sorry, I got to get so, on the uh, injured list here. So it's actually like, a, like, would that be considered almost like a cowardly thing? Literally, literally, yes. It's uh, described as a cowardly person. It's got nothing to do with making a mistake. Interesting. But yeah, every, see, I don't know everyone how this, uses it for that. Every though. football. No, it's only in football. Like, nobody says it in basketball. Yeah, you don't really hear it in nobody basketball. Nobody says it in baseball, and I don't, know, I don't think they say it in hockey. They just say it in football. Like, and it's just offensive coordinator. Like, the defensive guys don't say it. It's just the offensive coordinator and just the quarterback that usually will say it. You'll probably get some linemen, but it's an offensive thing. That's interesting. And, and my, my guess is the defense doesn't do it because the offense thinks they can control everything, right? They're the ones snapping the ball, uh, the procedural stuff, lining up. Everything goes off them. And so I understand, like, kind of the context of it. But I'm just wondering, like, can we get a substitute for that thing? Because, I mean, that's been passed down from generation to generation. 
Doesn't matter if you're Tom Brady in the league right now at 45 or if you're Trevor Lawrence at 22. Been saying it forever, yeah. Well, look, Brad, don't flick yourself in the ear tonight on sports. <laughs> you know, make sure you're paying attention and you leave it all out on the field. Give 110%. Step on a landmine or something. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, well, fortunately, Evan Ingram didn't shoot himself in the foot the other night. <laughs> Instead, had a touchdown. Nice. And could use those feet to dance if he wished. Uh, we got the chance to catch up with Evan Ingram post game, who could be a critical part of this offense. Pretty good first impression in front of a, a home crowd. You guys like what you saw? Oh, it was awesome. Um, still some things that we always can clean up. Uh, we're going to, um, but move the ball at will. Uh, made some big plays. Guys stepped up, made some big plays. Trevor did a great job. O-line did a great job. Um, and we were able to punch one in there. It felt good. How about just to get in the end zone and, and on a fourth down? And that's kind of Doug's M.O. a little bit. He's going to be aggressive. Yeah, no, it was it was a good situation for us to get the work in. Um, drove down on the field. Um, Doug trusted us to get it in, made a great call, and we just executed. You, how much of this have you seen in practice that kind of translates over to tonight? Um, a lot. And, you know, it, we're, everybody's new in the offense, so we've been working through a lot of kinks. Uh, but guys starting to get comfortable, starting to gain confidence, um, know all the material. And um, for us to get in, you know, get in game, live situation, um, and go execute, it was, it was good work for us. How much uh, are you guys working on things even in this setting? Because uh, I thought I saw a lot of communication even on the field between you and Trevor. Yeah. Um, it's it's big, you know. He's a young young quarterback, so and he's that's probably my, one of my favorite things about him. He, he's a great communicator, uh, great with the details, and um, you know there were some things that some mistakes, little little mental stuff that we got to clean up. But we're, we're gonna talk it out on the field. We're gonna get it all cleaned up, and then um, I think we had that one drive, and that next drive we drove down and finished. So um, communication is big. Um, we're definitely gonna build on that. Want to get in the end zone each time, um, but we're in the NFL. Sometimes we get stopped, but. Uh, you know, coming away with points is good. Um, for our first run, uh, with the, you know, the starters getting a lot of burn, I mean, it was important for us, and uh, I think we did a good job. With something we can build on going forward. I like Evan Ingram getting a lot of burn. I yeah, like man. that. Yeah, getting a good. lot of burn is good. Pumps I want to hear that more often. Sure. Um, that's that's an underused phrase in the NFL when it terms to get some PT out there on a preseason game. How is Evan Ingram? Good sign, guys, to see Evan Ingram. And, you know, I had asked him about the communication because there were a couple of times, uh, you'll remember this, I think it was after, uh, maybe it was the first drive, a good drive, right? They get they they kind of uh, got stalled in the in, in the red zone. They kicked the easy field goal. It was either that one or right after the turnover. That you talking about when he was open? Yeah, but remember when Zay Jones almost pulled that down, Casey? One-handed in the corner? Yeah. Like, it was that play, and then it was another play where I saw a lot of, um, communication, like down the field, uh, uh, Trevor actually went up to Ingram, and they were talking about something. And you never know. Like I don't know if Trevor's saying, "Hey, you should have gone here," or if it's Ingram being like, "Hey, you had me." You know, like you never really know the context of of the conversation. So that's what I was asking him about. But they had a couple of those kind of conversations, and whether that's just a um, a progression. Uh, a read thing, a comfortability with, with more playing time, something involved in the offense, I really don't know. Uh, but what play were you talking about where, where he was so, open? Was it that play? The, no, it was the play uh, on the in the red zone where it was the third, third down play, and him and Treadwell were almost in the same spot, but Treadwell stopped at the goal line, and he was behind him in the corner. The safety came off of him and came to Treadwell, I guess he read Trevor's eyes because Trevor threw it. He tried to get it into Treadwell. It was incomplete, and they kicked the field goal. But Ingram yes. was open in the back corner if he would have seen him. 
and me and Ty at the same time. We're like, oh, he had Ingram. <laughs> that that was the it. play. Yeah. That was the play. So that, that must have been Ingram. That's exactly when I saw it because it was when they were coming off the field. And that was it. So that was a perfect um, Ingram. It, so that was probably Ingram saying, hey, listen, just hang tight for one more second. Boom, you had me, right? Or yeah, another beat. likely. Um, and that's cool, though. Like, I like that. And, and Ingram's now, like, this is fifth year. He's been around the block a bit. Had some success. So um, I like Evan Ingram. I, I think he's, you know, again, a lot of people give him, you know, are critical of him because of some of the drops. But I think he's going to be so big in this offense. And you know, the other thing on the touchdown, I don't think enough people talked about this coming off the game, is we got a glimpse of Doug Peterson from the get-go, I think, on the play calling, how aggressive. The double move, the run play, you know, some of these other things, how much they were passing down the field. But then, remember when ETN dropped the ball down near the goal yeah, line? Yeah, yeah, Well, that was a third down play. And if he catches that ball, I don't think he gets in the end zone. But I think what Doug was doing was setting up a to-go for it on fourth and two from the two. You know? Um, I also think down here he knew what he was doing. Like, he had two plays. It was a third and a long two, I think a short three. They run the ball. They don't get it. They only ran for like a half a yard or a yard. And he knew he was going for it. And then they obviously run that nice play on fourth down, and they get the touchdown. I mean, I think that's maybe a little bit of something that's not talked about as much coming off that game, or, or maybe I missed it. Uh, because I don't actually spend a lot of time on Twitter when I'm on the sideline uh, during those games. But that was a fourth down play. Like, they converted that touchdown on a fourth down play. And that's the M.O. of that guy on the sideline there. Doug Peterson's going to be aggressive. And I actually think he'll be super aggressive with this group. Because, I mean, he's kind of playing the little house money, right? What are the expectations? They got nothing to lose. Well, uh, a little I mean, bit to lose. Well, I know. But, I mean, I don't think he'll be reckless. Yeah. But he always, he already plays with that. Um, kind of aggression and I think it'll be added too because listen we're gonna have to do some of that like I think he'll he'll come he'll need to steal some possessions or steal a thing or two here or there to win some games and beat some of the teams they're gonna have to play and I think he probably thinks like that automatically so it'll be uh it'll be fun to watch and and I I think Ingram is gonna be a big, big factor here. Now, are you guys to, are you guys high on Ingram, or, or am I losing my mind? I'm very high on Ingram. I just, you know, obviously injury is always a concern when you talk Evan Ingram because of recent history. But uh, when the guy's on the field, he's one of the better pass-catching tight ends in the league. I'm trying to rack my brain and think about what receivers of note Trevor played with at Clemson. Like, I know he he enjoyed throwing to Justin Ross, who's on the team. Higgins? Uh, yeah, that's Higgins. right. T. Higgins was on that. I'm trying to think of like these big time because Evan Ingram, you know, maybe maybe the best pass catcher he's ever played with. He, he might be able to learn a lot from this man. Uh, yeah, he played with. I mean, obviously, you just mentioned two of them. I mean, Ross was really good before he got hurt too. You know, so and and Higgins is very good still. Uh, so I don't I don't know if I agree with that, but I mean, I get what you're saying. When you get veteran guys that have done it before a little bit. And, again, it's really Peterson. It's less Trevor. It's more Peterson. Like, he's going to make plays for this guy. Yeah. I think he's going to. Casey, um, I don't know. Like, top five tight ends are off the board. You taking a shot at Ingram in your fantasy league next? Uh, Hunter Renfro as well, by the way. But for okay. Trevor. And uh, Renfro might be even better in the NFL, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, sure. You know, like, I, I understand what you're trying to say. So, yeah, I'll go with you there. 
I, I don't get into that position. You're I draft Kelsey in, in the first I was round. You're taking Ingram five because that's pretty high. Well, no, I was saying the top five. I don't know who the top five. Well, I know it's Kittle, right? It's Kelsey. It's uh, Mark Kittle. Andrews. It's Waller. It's Waller. Okay, so you, and, and I'm probably missing one or two. But my point is, like, in that next tier, are you taking a leap on a guy like Ingram that, I mean, he might have 80 catches. It just hasn't proven that out, though, over time, where some other guys are, are fairly more left. Yeah, but he's That's playing with, like, I'll, I'll jump with I you think. guys. I'll jump with you guys now. He's playing with Daniel Jones, and now he's got Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence. Like, the situation couldn't be more perfect yeah, for but Evan like, Ingram. Are you taking, in fantasy, granted, not real life, but in fantasy, Casey, are you taking Ingram over Dallas Goddard? Because by no. my count, Goddard's no, around no, no. 10. No. What about Dawson Knox? No. What about Schultz? Yeah, Dalton Schultz is a top five, in my opinion. Even Hunter Henry is still up there right. in the top well, ten. So, so you guys are answering my question, then. Uh, that's a good one. You taking Hunter Henry or or Ingram? So, before the Patriots didn't have an offensive coach on their staff, I would say Hunter Henry. But now, <laughs> like, so the what you're looking for, and I can give it to you, is I have a two-tight end league that I literally drafted on Sunday, and Evan Ingram is my second tight end. What round, though? You already drafted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That league, I don't, I'm not in charge of that league, so yeah, that was kind of sketch. But yeah, no, it was at the end. Yeah. Because Ingram's around, like, his average draft position you is can also get him late. the end of the draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he might, to, to Brent, your point, he's going to probably be a steal to that point. Like, I drafted Kelsey in the second round, and then I was like, okay, I feel pretty good. And then I got later, and I was like, oh, you know, Evan Ingram's still here. I'll take him because I know what they're trying to do with him. And again, yeah. not, to, not to keep confusing real life and fantasy life, but in a guy like Hunter Henry, you're, you're, you're taking him for the touchdowns, not necessarily the receptions or the yards. Yeah. Well, listen, I, here's the deal, okay? I've been pie in the sky about a lot of different players over the years for the Jags, and it doesn't pan out. And a little bit of it's like, yeah, I can see this happening or whatever. Uh, I, I would just say I think Ingram is in, like, the ideal situation a player can be in in the NFL. And I already brought up Trevor, by the way, is, is probably going to take a leap of some kind. I think a lot of people would buy into that. Doug is – there's no coach in the NFL, man, that has the tight end pedigree of – Doug Peterson. It's a good point. Like, he's labeled as a guy that wants to get the tight end the football. Like, I, I know there's other tight ends that get the football a lot, but, I mean, maybe Baltimore, Casey, maybe Harbaugh gets the ball to the yeah. tight end more, yeah, I guess. Does. Like, but you it's know what I'm saying. He has no other choice. <laughs> I mean, Doug is probably in the top three uh, of coaches that wants to get the tight end the ball is what I'm saying. And then I'll add this element in. He's got a one-year, $9 million deal. He has a big year. He gets paid. Yeah, it's a prove-it deal. He's going to work for it. And when we see a lot of players now, when it's time to get paid, they have a damn good year. Has plenty of motivation. Mm. And so uh, tight end money's not bad out there right now. So That's the, true. And, and he could, he's just getting into the prime of his career. So this is an excellent situation to buy on Evan Ingram is my point. And it's an excellent situation for Evan Ingram. And by the way, it's an excellent situation for the Jacksonville Jaguars because of everything I just said. And I think uh, I think he's going to have a hell of a year. Might be an excellent situation for Casey, who picked up Ingram late in a two-tight end league. You don't see too many of those. I also just bought a bunch of Evan Ingram rookies for like two bucks a pop. Look at you making investments, Casey. <laughs> Throwing money at your future. I like how where you're going, money, man. How much money did you spend this weekend on cards? Uh, these were like last week, but like last week a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot. What's yeah. a lot? What's a lot look like to you? Like a lot that I'm uncomfortable saying because oh, I think Amanda's listening. Okay, never mind. <laughs> never mind. You don't have that joint account set up yet, huh? <laughs> Not for cards, no. Yeah, cards yeah. comes out of the single. Peeling it off into the Venmo. Go uh, get him, buddy. <laughs>
Cash App or Venmo, Casey? <laughs> no. <laughs> we'll be oh, back. you owe me money. I do. They didn't run a screen. We bet on that. Trevor and ETN did not run a screen. I forgot to pull the audio. I'm glad you just said it. I will find it for tomorrow. Brent, we we bet on a screen. One. I just don't remember what day. It's going to be did, tough to find. We did bet on did a screen. Did we say a screen on offense or defense? Oh. We, we said ETN and Trevor because I said there's no way they're going to run a screen <laughs> uh, because ETN with the injury thing. And you said, oh, they'll definitely uh, yeah, run a screen. Yeah, yeah. It's the first thing they'll run. I got to check the bet bucket. We all know how Brent loves to throw his bets in the bet bucket. So yeah, I'm gonna, we need the sticky notes. Get and I, text, I texted you during the game, and you said, yay. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> you had no idea. You, I texted you. I said they didn't run a screen smiley face when they came out, and you replied, yay. Oh, I thought you were talking about the defense. <laughs> no, they ran a screen on defense. The Jazz popped after for a that. big screen. Yeah, yeah, after that. They did. That's what I thought you were talking about, their defense. <laughs> I totally forgot about the bet. $5 bet that was. That's nothing. We'll be back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. <laughs> Hey guys, Will Zalatoris here. Uh, we finally did it. We won the FedEx St. Jude Classic here in Memphis. Um, thank you guys for all the support. Uh, we've been so close and it means a lot. Uh, hearing each week you guys rooting for me. Um, you know, thank you to FedEx obviously for everything that they've done for us with the tour and obviously this week in Memphis and obviously to St. Jude and all those kids and how inspirational they are. So uh, we'll see you guys in Delaware. And as Will Zalatoris, he wins the first FedEx Cup event in dramatic style. That was fun. You're not a golf guy, Aaron, are you? Not really, but I like following along with the storyline, especially the uh, the Cam Smith storyline of late. That one's got me all lit up. Yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> continues today. Yeah, oh, yeah, it, it does. Because he, yeah. he's withdrawn from the BMW. That's right. But it sounds like Casey's going to play at the Tour Championship, right? Uh, I mean, I haven't seen that. We'll see how it plays out. If you've seen it, then um, I'm not saying it's wrong, but... Uh, we'll see. He he didn't have back spasms until recently, apparently. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, I'm not going to crucify him yet, but I will if he doesn't play in the tour championship. So I'm going to let it play out. So how about this? Speaking of, like, the live stuff, Will Zalatoris, did you see that last night on the broadcast? He had earned $6.7 million this year Without on the PGA winning. Tour, and he hadn't won yet. Yeah. I mean, that's are we these poor guys, right? I mean, you got to go jump ship to live. <laughs> I don't think I mean, anyone who went to live is saying that they were poor or that they need just that live is throwing all the money at them. Why not take it? Yeah, I mean, I know it's different kind of money, but it's just like that's astonishing, Casey, to go six point seven million without winning. By the way, then he wins and he gets two point seven million more. So now he's up to almost ten million. And he's in the driver's seat for twenty five million in a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean. And, again, you're getting your money in a different way. I, like, I get it. And it's not you're getting a check for $200 million boom up front for just showing up. But, I mean, that is wild. That, to, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's a lot of money to be winning without actually winning the event. Now, a lot of money. He's, he's really done well. He's been knocking on the door. But that was interesting. Uh, Casey, I want them to hit that shot in the playoff. And so if nobody knows... First of all, they go, Sepp Straka and him go to three playoff holes, or, and on the 11th, it's a par three, and it's over water. and uh, Crazy. you got to go see it because the bounce that Zalatoris gets, somehow it bounced like three times on the rocks and did not go in the water. Yeah. But it ends up in this really tricky spot. And then Straka 
What a dummy. I mean, I can't imagine he intended for it to happen, so he obviously took a bad swing, and it hits the rocks and goes in the water. We're all, he could have just yanked it left and been okay. Um, and for reference, water's short of the green in this scenario. Yeah, so, so they like, didn't hit it well. Yeah, just comfortably get on, and neither guy took that approach. So, yeah, it's, I don't – the Seb Straka one's weird. I don't know – why you don't just play it safe there. But, um, yeah, that's how it played out. Well, he, by the way, Steph Straka had really not been playing good golf coming in, and then all of a sudden he really played well uh, this True. weekend. And so maybe some of that crept back in. I mean, uh, but anyway, the, the bottom line is, so Straka is hitting. So there's two things that, that's interesting to me. Straka hits. you got to follow along. They're both. Um, so that's their tee shot. So Zalatoris lies one, but he's like, in what looks to be maybe an impossible shot. Yeah, like, for the reference again, he physically can't probably hit the ball forward. His grass is bo- or his ball is below the grass sitting on rock to the point where if he hits it, it could hit the grass and just go in the water. Go back in the water. See, I don't think it would have done that. I don't think it's going through that grass. You didn't think so? No. I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm not willing to find out in that scenario. <laughs> With everything so, on the line like that? Jason Sobel and many yeah. others have said uh, they should have went back and tried the shot. And I was like, dang, that would have been great. Like, I want to see what happens there. Because, honestly, I don't think it was as crazy as everybody else does. But I understand the uncertainty of it. So Straka hits again after he hit in the water, and then he ends up in the trap. So now he's, like, lying three in the trap. And then what, here's what's fascinating to me. Before Zalatoris decides to take a drop and go back 100 yards, Straka hits his shot out of the bunker, Casey, because he was further away. Yeah, so he had to go again, yeah. So he goes again, but isn't it crazy that once Zalatoris took the drop, he's 100 yards back and would have been further away? Mm. Like, why doesn't he have to make that decision before Straka hits? Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I don't love it either, but it's just the way it is, I guess. Well, and, like, I can see the logic in it because you're like, okay, you're, if you're away, you go first, and then I can make a decision on what I want to do when it's my turn. Right. But at the same time, it just seems kind of odd that the guy that was in a greenside bunker went before the guy that hit his next shot 100 yards away. I agree with you, but it's just, I get, you know, that's why I people want, are going I'm, to live. From, i got to ask Jimbo, my rules official. <laughs> That's why people are going to live. <laughs> and, and live, you just go whatever the hell you want to go. You just play. It's just it's your turn all the time. Yeah. Can we talk so, a little more about that shot, though? Because, first of all, the way it got into the wedge, like the wedged itself between the stone and the grass was interesting. The way it, like, ping-ponged around in those stones. It was unbelievable it stayed up. But if you watch the replay over again, which I just did another time, it really does look like it wedges itself in, like, this dirt line between the rock and the grass. Not that it's sitting on top, but that it's sitting under. I really think that if you're trying to hit that shot, first of all, you got to go towards the top of the ball so you don't hit the stone wall in your in your swing. Exactly. But once you're on the top of the ball, I don't think you're making it out of that high grass. That grass is a good four inches up, five inches up off the ground. I don't know, man. Yeah, you guys, listen, you guys are right because he decided that. I think he would have had more trouble hitting the ball with the, the rock on his club, on his downswing, than the grass. But I do think you just hit on, like, a golden opportunity for anyone doing golf, especially uh, NBC. After the tournament, you have some it. of your golf pros go out and do some of those shots again and see what maybe would have happened if you took another tact. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great content. They should have done that. 
Uh, that would have been good. And by the way, like I did tweet this. Casey, you watch a lot of golf. I do. They make it so dramatic all the time. <laughs> so I never know what to believe is a hard shot or so, supposed to do. That's a, like I agree with you. That was going to be difficult. I oh, that's fine, but they do make it. Everything is so dramatic, and then a guy like this is the hardest chip ever, and then he like knocks it in, like like uh, nine out of ten times. It was like in, like it was dramatic though. Like I agree with you, but even the Saka or uh, Saka wrong sport, Sepp Straka's bunker shot was like downhill, so he had to stop it without rolling into the water. Yeah, and then if you really think about it, Zalatoris went from what like eleven feet away to ninety feet away and hit a dart. Yeah, I know. Like, that's unbelievable. He's can like, you I'll go being... 80 yards back and hit a better shot. <laughs> can you imagine being that confident? That you're like, yeah, I'm just going to knock this to within eight feet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> with all the pressure on you, it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Of course, how much pressure's on you if you've already made $6.7 million this year? Really? I mean, a lot if you got 25 <laughs> on the table staring you in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back. Football at 5 coming up on ESPN 690.